Paul, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again. It really is to, to come back to Tallahassee. Who would have ever thought I'd have ever come to Tallahassee? I mean, who comes to Tallahassee? <laughs> Does anybody come to Tallahassee unless they really have to? Um, I'm joking with that. That's words we use for Newport, where I come from. Nobody, you just drive past Newport as quickly as you possibly can when you go there. But it's a joy to come to Tallahassee to spend time with our dear friends, Dave and Kim, who have pastored us as much as we have them. We pastor each other. And uh, so grateful for the years of, of deep friendship uh, between us and for the church at home in Christchurch that have thrived so much through Dave and Kim as well. It, it really is good to be with you. I have been asked to just round up, as Paul was saying, your, your series on Beyond the Shadowlands. Grateful to hear C.S. Lewis mentioned. And uh, I'm going to be giving you a bit more English stuff. I'll have a bit of Shakespeare in a minute. That'll help you. Uh, If you don't know who that is, look it up on your Google it now um, so you know what's going on. But I'm going to round it up. Rather than looking at what's happening in heaven now, I'm going to look at what's what's going to happen in heaven then, on that final day when we're together. That's what we want to look at. And to do it, we're going to go from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, would you be kind enough, please, to, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'd love to read all of it, but we are limited, obviously, in time, and it's a big passage. Um, But I'm going to read from verse 35, and as I go from verse 35, we're going to go all the way down to verse 49. And let's go. This is the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, and he says in verse 35, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living, uh, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray together and get into this. Well, Lord, I ask for mercy this morning. 
Count not my sins against me, and in my weakness, Lord, show yourself strong. This is your word, and you love to re-speak it through it being preached, and I pray this morning, not because of me, but in spite of, and to serve these good people, that your word may be re-preached, and that faith, hope, and joy for who we are in you and what we will experience with you will flood our hearts and souls this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a long passage, isn't it? And there's more to it than that, of course. But in that passage, Paul's, Paul's really opening up a secret. And he says it a bit later on. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. That's always good. We all like secrets. Um, there's something compelling about knowing a secret, particularly when it involves you. And this involves you, and it involves me, because what he's doing is pulling back the curtains a little of what is going to happen to us when we die, what heaven is going to be like, and what we're going to be like in it. That's what he's trying to do. Um, I, when I was a kid, I used to, to grow up, and, and, and I, I, I grew up loving Christmas, uh, it was just the best time of all, because mainly because we got gifts. And my father, if he bought the gifts, and my mother, he'd always put them in the attic, so you couldn't get to them. And I wasn't big enough to get into the attic. But if I climbed up onto the stair banister, I could just about lean in and lift the lid into the attic and peek in. And so I'd get a flashlight, and I'd come, coming up to Christmas, I'd be peeking in just with my little flashlight to see if I could see anything at all of what was coming what I could expect on Christmas morning. And in a way, that's very similar to what's happening here. Paul is not, we're not just blowing the lid off and seeing everything, but we are lifting the lid, peering behind the curtains, taking a flashlight. Paul's saying, I want to try and explain something to you. I want you to understand this. I want you to grasp this. And I want you to put away any wrong thoughts of what's coming and what it's going to look like. Um, Shakespeare writes about Hamlet in exactly the same way. This, this, this thought of what is beyond the Shadowlands. What is really there? What's it going to be like? And you know what? You realize that we can take on so many different thoughts and ideas that may not be biblically based. And there can be a fear, a genuine fear of what may happen to us. This was Hamlet's issue, you know, in his soliloquy, to be or not to be. He's, he's really considering suicide. And in considering suicide, the thing that holds him back is fear of what's coming next. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing, end them. He's saying, should I just get rid of myself? Should I just end it to die, to sleep? No more. And, and, and by a sleep to say that we end the heartbreak and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. And he just thinks, I just want to go. Oh, uh, to die, to sleep. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. But then he starts to contemplate what that means. And he's frightened because he thinks of it as a dream that he doesn't understand. What's it going to be like to sleep? Ah, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? Causes us to pause. He says, I have to stop and think, what's going on? Who would, 
these fardels, these burdens bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life. Save, save that. And this is where he goes. Who, why would I live in this life? Save that the dread of something after death, what he calls, and this is my title for this morning, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will. Oh, it does puzzle the will. It does more than puzzle the will. It can cause dread, the dread of something after death. The undiscovered country, whom he says, from whose born no traveler returns. Well, I'd just like to raise my hand, Mr. Shakespeare, and say, hang on a minute, Hamlet. Uh, Somebody's writing here who it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he was caught up into paradise. He speaks in the third person. He saw things of which he cannot fully explain or tell. And yet Paul has seen something. He's glimpsed something. In which, and there is one who's born, who has returned, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So Paul is bringing us in to what he knows and what he's seen and what he can tell them. Well, what is he going to tell them? He's going to tell them a day is coming. A day is coming when we will be changed. And he wants them to see that and to grasp that and, and, and understand, as he's been preaching up to this point, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because some were saying, started the chapter, some were saying, as we just went down through 15 a bit. Some are saying that there, there is no resurrection. He said, if, if you don't believe there's a resurrection, then you don't believe Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, you're still in your sins. But then he wants to go on and explain what he means by resurrection. I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean reincarnated. That's not going to happen to us. He doesn't mean reanimated, brought back to life again. He doesn't mean resuscitated, air back in. But we will be resurrected. And then we've got to try and explain, this is what's happening with Paul. If you read it, you see he's trying to explain to them something that's pretty well inexplicable. He's trying to take another reality completely and give them some clues and us as to what that reality will be like. George Eldon Ladd says this, it's a great quote. He says, who can imagine a body without weakness? or infection, or tiredness, or sickness, or death. This is a body utterly unknown to earthly historical experience. It is an order of existence in which the laws of nature no longer obtain. In fact, when one puts his mind to it, it is quite unimaginable. When we try to look beyond the shadowlands... Not only to what's happening now, but even more so to what will happen then and to us. We get fragments and thoughts, and sometimes they can get mixed up. And Paul wants to bring faith and hope and a desire for the Corinthians to keep pressing on in the Lord because of what is going to come. So he tells them we will be resurrected, and they struggle with it. Clearly they struggle with it because he calls them foolish. He calls them stupid. He says, you know, you're you're, you're trying to figure this out in the wrong way, you idiots. <laughs> I love it when he does that. And, and you can understand why they didn't like the idea of resurrection. It, because for a Jew to go near a dead body, they, they've got this idea of resurrection, the dead body getting up like a zombie film, Dawn of the Dead or whatever is your, the kind of thing you like in your zombie apocalypse films. Um, 
<clears throat> I know Christians don't watch zombie apocalypse films. It's okay. I'm not encouraging that. However, you know, or Michael, ja- you don't watch Michael Jackson either. Okay. Um, you know, is that what they expect to happen at the resurrection? I can't do it. Okay. I can't do it. Josh can come up and do it for me. Can you do it? No, sorry. <clears throat> I, but that's their idea. This horrible, weird, kind of half-dead thing resurrects. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It ain't nothing like that at all. I'm not a sicko, but I'm trying to explain. And he wants to explain to them a principle. It's a principle of continuation and non-continuation. In one sense, he wants them to understand our bodies continue into the new reality, the new existence, the new creation. And yet in another sense, they don't. So this is a kind of explanation message this morning, a clarifying message that I hope will bring you hope. So he uses two examples to try and illustrate what is very difficult to illustrate. It would be like, imagine, um, imagine going back to the Middle Ages and explaining a mobile phone to somebody from the Middle Ages. Well, I've got this thing, I carry it in my pocket, it's a mobile phone, and I can speak to anybody in the world who's got one instantly, and I can actually see them as well. Oh, and I can take a picture. It's like, it's like a painting, but it goes on here instantly. Or I can also freeze time and put it on here. And, and oh, by the way, I can just press another button and I can get any information from anywhere that I want in the world instantly. They would just say, burn the witch. <laughs> that would be it. You nutcase. You, know, you must be evil or mad because you're trying to explain something that's just beyond their ken, beyond their understanding. This is what Paul's trying to do. So he does it with an example. And the first example he uses is from nature. And it's the death of the seed. Look at this in verse 36. Let's just read this. He says, you foolish person, what you sow, so he's going to sowing and seeds now, does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. But not all flesh is the same, and he goes on then. So he says, let's, let's try and explain what it's like beyond the Shadowlands and what that day will be like and what our existence eternally will be like. It's, it's like a seed. It's like an acorn. And the seed disintegrates and dies. Yet what comes from it, so he says maybe it's a piece of wheat or maybe it's an oak tree, is... There's a continuation. Without the seed dying, the oak tree would not be there. But it ain't the seed. There's a joining together, but complete difference. Continuation, non-continuation. And God has built into nature um, a simple demonstration of resurrection that Paul says, it's like a seed. You are like a seed. The body becomes a bare kernel. And from that bare kernel, death takes place. And from death, something staggering emerges, something completely different. The link between the seed and the tree, the seed is no more, but its death brings a new kind of life. Notice he says here, the body is is sown. It's not reconstituted. I don't know if you've ever thought that. I used to, before I knew my Bible... And even a bit after I knew it, I used to get some funny ideas. And people have through the centuries. You don't have to read about this, about 
about my physical body after death. This idea that I believe Jesus will. So if you go to some gravestones at home, it'll say, here lies Joe Bloggs awaiting the resurrection, which is great. But again, it's not going to be like the thriller movie, which comes up there or, or whatever it might be. The hands coming up through and pulling back the earth and soaring up into the sky. Okay, just hold on a minute. Hold. So people used to get buried in lead coffins because they thought if the worms ate enough of their body, they could be resurrected with only one leg or something like that because God needed to reconstitute, like the Iron Man movie, Iron Man 3. But he stands there and he calls to all his bits and they, they come on. And, it's just like that. Is that what I'm thinking, that God is just going to reconstitute me wherever my atoms have gone, so I better keep them all in one place? So let's keep Grandma on the mantelpiece and don't knock her over because <laughs> Jesus is going to have a hard time reconstituting that body. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. It's okay. You can throw Grandma in the bin, in the trash can. It doesn't matter. <laughs> don't throw Grandma in the trash can and say, I said you could do it. It'd be all right. You don't need, people get worried about cremation. They think, you know, how is God going to stick this back together again? And what if what they take out of there is not just me? What if it's the local dog pound that they did at the same time? This is where people, it's funny, but people go there. He's saying, look, there is a link, but there's not a link. There is no need to be fearful about how this will happen and what God will do. You are like a seed, but that seed dies. It disintegrates. It breaks down, and it dies. You can't dig up an oak tree and find the acorn. It's gone. But without the acorn, there wouldn't have been the oak tree. Without the acorn's death, there wouldn't be. So he goes on in verse 39 through 41. He says, for not all flesh is the same. He continues his example in nature. Not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun. There's one of the moon. Stars. And he's saying, do you see? Things are different then. You will be different, but you'll be you. But so different. So be at peace and enjoy the reality. Enjoy the reality. We will have a body suited for another existence. Different kinds of animals are suited for their environment. That's what he's saying, fish for the sea. Different kinds of celestial bodies are suited for their environment. And you will have a body that will be suited for your new environment. A resurrected body. Not some extraterrestrial ooze, like in Star Trek or something like that. We were, we were driving, up, um, driving up from Orlando when we came in here and had the rate going through the radio, we're desperately looking for the BBC. Please, where's Radio 4? Where's some, where can somebody talk to me gently rather than screaming adverts at me um, in country music stations? I'll tell you one thing that's not beyond the Shadowlands. There ain't no country music there, <laughs> even though I'm wearing the boots. Let me tell you, if you think there's going to be country music, you've got a, you've got a shock coming because it's, it's from the pit of hell. Anyway, um, 
I love to come to America and do things like this. It's just such fun. It's such fun. But, but this, and we were, we were listening, that's my point. We were listening to the radio, and that song came on, Want to go to the Spirit, remember? I want to go to the Spirit in the sky. I'm going to go there when I die. Something about, I've got a friend in Jesus. And I just thought, what an absolute lot of nonsense. I, I'm not going to go to the Spirit in the sky. I'm going to be resurrected gloriously, not just from that plot of land or sitting on the mantelpiece in an urn, God is not going to reconstitute me. God is going to raise me up through my death and there will be a continuation of me in Christ gloriously and I don't get it. And Paul says, you won't fully get it, but it's going to be different. But in some ways, it'll be you and it'll be the same. It is quite magnificent. He, he, he just opens the whole thing up in a wonderful way and shows them how it will be a body. We won't just be spirit. Paul's not particularly concerned about what happens to me the moment I die. Some people think the moment you die, time has ended and we're all there together. Others think, no, my spirit goes to be with the Lord. I, Paul doesn't really talk about that. Paul's more concerned with that day and the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth and us being with Christ in that. That's where he lives. And he talks about us being asleep in the Lord until that point takes place. And so it will be a body. But the question is, why a body? As we think about it, you know, I'm physical. And this idea that, well, when I die, my soul is with the Lord, my spirit, and that's how I'll exist. No, you'll exist in a body. Because Jesus Christ himself, and this is a this is fundamental to Christology. Jesus Christ himself is in a resurrection body. We'll come to that as we finish. But you will be in a body. Why? Well, because what Jesus came to do through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, what he came to do was to undo what Adam had done, and he came to win back the creation that God had made, that he had made. He came to see paradise restored. He came to undo what took place in the garden where man rebelled, Adam rebelled against him. He came to fix it and to fix it in such a way, as the old hymn says, in him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their fathers lost. In Christ, it's, the new, it's not just me being saved, it's the creation being saved. The whole of creation is set in bondage to decay until this happens then it's a new creation. But it's physical. Gordon Fee says, uh, when he's commenting on this, at stake is the biblical doctrine of creation. According to Scripture, God created the material order and pronounced it good. But in the fall, it also came under the curse. In Paul's view, therefore, the material order must also experience the effects of redemption in Christ. And that involves the physical body as well. We will have a new physical body, and it will be a real body, and it won't be reconstituted. And isn't that good news? Because honestly, some of us are putting on so much weight, we don't want our bodies reconstituted. Because unless you make me about eight and a half foot tall, which could happen, I don't need this reconstituting. That's good news, particularly when I look at Dave Harvey. I'm thinking, man, honestly, saying what a joy it is to watch him every time just disintegrate even more. But, but... I look back at pictures, Dave, and I think, where did you go? 
birthday. Where, where did my friend go? I got this more disturbing looking at pictures of you is looking at pictures of me. Yeah, I know you'd agree. I know you'd agree. It's just like, what's happening? I'm letting out the belt and the skins off. Do you know what happened to me? Three weeks ago, I'm sitting at my dinner table with two friends, and we're sitting there, and I've got my elbows on the table, and suddenly, my elbow is the size of an orange. Maybe a, maybe a melon, I don't know. It was like out here, full of fluid. Don't worry about what it is. I've been, I've been removing it with my own syringe. Jen's been freaking out. We're, we're tough over in Wales. And uh, it's just like, what is happening to me? I'm falling to pieces. You know, I... We were staying in this, we were staying these last few days in this nice little condo, but the problem with it was there was mirrors all down one side. So you walk in and you got your shorts on and holding your stomach in, and I look at it and think, God, who is that over there? Who is that? I'm disintegrating. But the great news that Paul's saying here, and take this, in, in, encourage yourselves with this. The more I see myself disintegrate, the more I recognize I am that seed that is slowly just turning into a bare kernel, and one day that seed will die. But it's the hope of a new creation, a new life in Christ. When you see the wrinkles and you let out a bit on the belt and the hair drops out and the skin starts to go, I don't know how it goes, but it's not what it was and things don't work, it can cause you to go, I, I've got to stop this. I've got to change this. I've got to, I, you know, I, the, this is not the way it should be. And in one way, you're right. It's not the way it should be. It's not the way it should be. We were originally created for that not to happen, but sin came in, and the wages of sin is death, and it's a slow death until the point of death. And yet in Christ, Paul says, that disintegration, that Turning into a bare kernel, that's a sign of something glorious to come. So next time you realize you've just let a thing out on your belt, or ladies, you've just plastered three ton of makeup on your face to try and hide the fact, my kernel's disintegrating! Makeup! Put it all over. Do I look younger? Yes, dear. Um, <laughs> or you get your girdle, or you, you know, you pull your belt in, or you get out on your bike and you're cycling, making yourself feel sick, trying to stop that kernel disintegrate. Listen, when it disintegrates, go <laughs> another step closer to a glorious new body. Isn't this good? I, do I look worse? Dave, do I look worse than I saw you last? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I want my kernel to disintegrate. Because Paul says that seed has a continuation in a glorious new world. That's his first example. We sow, we sow it, and it's perishable. It's dishonor. It's weakness. It's, it's natural. What's raised is imperishable, glorified, powerful, spiritual. This, this is the hope for where we're going. The second example is, it's not just nature, but it's Christ himself. Look at this in verse 45. So he says, I, I, I want to show you through, through an example that God's given in nature. Now I want to show you through the person of Jesus Christ himself, how you will be like him. And in verse 45, he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man, 
was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So he's saying, here's an, here's an example from nature to help you understand. A few examples from nature. Now, here's the great example. The man of heaven, from whose born a traveler has returned. The man of heaven, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is a first fruit. He is, the, he is the, the image of what you will be. What we see in his resurrected life is the new creation. He is the only one to, the first and only to have been raised in a heavenly body. Lazarus wasn't. He's the first and only to have been raised in a heavenly body. But it's a foretaste and a picture of what we shall be like. And that's what Paul's saying here. We are like Adam. We're broken. We're sinful. We're going to die. But we're like Christ if we're in Christ. And the glory of his resurrected body will be the same reality for us. Be the same but different. So you look at Jesus in his resurrection. Go to John 20, for instance, and read through John 20. And you see... There's a continuation and a non-continuation. He's the same, but different. So he's the same in the sense that he's sitting by the shore, cooking fish, eating fish. So he's a physical body that eats and drinks. He's not a ghost. And yet, John is very clear twice in John 20, once with the disciples, another time when Thomas wasn't there the first time, and Jesus comes back and speaks to Thomas. He says, we're in the room, the doors are locked. Let's make it clear. He couldn't get in or out, and suddenly Jesus appears. So the natural, nature's laws, he's unshackled by time or space, and yet physical. So he says to Thomas, put your fingers, feel me, I'm real, and yet so completely different. He's recognized and yet not recognized. You ever thought, well, how does that work? It's Jesus, but it's not. So he, the guys are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus joins them, and they don't know who he is, the disciples. And he starts to open up all the scriptures for them concerning himself. And only when he breaks bread, it's you. They recognize him, but they didn't. Mary's at the tomb, and she thinks Jesus is the gardener, and he speaks Mary. And she sees him. He is Jesus, but he's different. Paul is saying, just as the man, just as we're like Adam in our nature, so our new nature, our resurrected nature, will be like Christ as he is. We shall be like him, perfected, glorious bodies, made for a new existence. This is, this is staggeringly great news. It means that as he is, so we're going to be. All that he has done by going to the cross for us, by forgiving us our sins, it was not just so that in this life we're having a good time. Paul says earlier, if in this life we, we, we believe and it's not real, we, we're, of, we're of all men most to be pitied. Because if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. But because Christ is raised, 
Our hope is that we get to peer beyond the shadowlands a bit and see that we shall be like him. Now, you don't get any more than that. All you get is a flashlight and the lid lifted. No point speculating. People do that. You can buy books on it, okay? Don't buy the books. You can buy books on what our new bodies will be like. People trying to figure it out and then just taking it off. We don't know, but we know enough in seeing Jesus that we will be ourselves in a body and yet different and of a different glory completely. And I look forward to that. I look forward to that in a way that it should stop me panicking. Do you, do you see the absurdity as we recognize it as a seed? Do you see the absurdity of, of how we can hold on to that acorn as if it's the whole of our existence? Maybe you're here today, maybe you've grown up in a, in a Christian home, uh, and maybe you consider yourself a believer, but it, it doesn't really affect you. Not really. It doesn't re- you know, it's more like going through the motions. I know what that's like. You're going through the motions, you're doing the bit, but, but you think about when you die and you have no real genuine hope within you. You're just thrown about all the time. And so what you do is you, you do everything you can to try and make this life as good as possible. So what you're doing is you're polishing the acorn, you're looking after the acorn, you're making sure the acorn's okay. You just, that as you start to see things happen with the acorn, you think, I've got to go, the, because this is all there is. I want to say to you, honestly, this is not all there is. This is just the precursor to all there is. There is something magnificent and glorious. If you are prepared to recognize that this is not what my life is about, that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross for your sin. You know it. You may know it in your mind and theologically, but it's never really impacted you. And you're living with this sense of, what's the point? Because honestly, you look at the acorn and you think, I can't stop this. Where's it all going to go? Where's all my stuff going to go? Where's all, what, what does it matter in the end? And then you read this and you go, there is something more staggering, more glorious. My life is not about the acorn. My life's about the oak tree. It's the new creation, the new existence. Jesus Christ died so that you may be with him where he is, that you may find an eternal life and joy in that new creation. So if you're sitting here today and you've never come to that place of going, you're right. I want to I receive him in a completely different way. I want to turn around and make that day and his will my priority. Then you can just do it. You do it today. But as we look at this, we see this future and this future where we will be like him, except for one thing. Except for one thing. As you... As you look in Revelation, I won't go there now, but as you look in Revelation, Revelation 4 going into Revelation 5, you see everything centered around the throne of God. And in centering around the throne of God, you find that who is worthy to open the, uh, the book and to, to break open its seals. Um, and, and in that, they say no one is found worthy. And they say, stop, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy, and he takes it. And suddenly you find the attention moving away from the central point of the throne to both the throne and the Lamb. But I looked and I saw a Lamb as as if he'd been slain. 
And you realize in, in heaven, in beyond the shadow lands, where we have our new, glorious, perfected, resurrected bodies, there will be one who still bears the scars. His resurrected body maintained the scars when he said to Thomas, look. Look at the side. See that. Michael Card says it in his great song, which talks about this, known by the scars. He's thinking about us being in heaven with Jesus. And he says, the marks of death that God chose never to erase, the wounds of love's eternal war, when the kingdom comes with its perfected sons, he will be known by the scars. Ah, for all eternity, we will not forget, erase, or exhaust the glories of the Savior's sacrificial death in order that he may bring his sons to glory and daughters to glory. We, in our perfected, continuous, but non-continuous bodies that are going to be like him, that are going to be so different in glory, there'll be one for eternity who we'll look at and never forget why we're there, why we're with him. He will be known by the scars. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ dying for us so that we may be with him, enjoy the fellowship that he had before with his father, have new resurrected bodies, a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of God from the clouds. Behold, I make all things new, Revelation 21. How staggering that is our future. How staggering that is what we're called to do. So when death comes, my friends, be it a long time, be it a short time, when you lie in bed and sometimes worry about what it's going to be like and what I'm going to be like and the reality of it all, have no fear. Have no fear. Jesus has gone before us. Sure, he's interceding, but he reveals something of who we're going to be in that. When the kernel breaks down, that's okay. It's meant to. And if you're here today and you just feel, I need this to be more of a reality, I've just just gone through the motions, but I don't feel it. God wants you to feel it and know it. He wants you to have a faith that, that pushes everything else aside, that you can say, you know, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I've got it. And it, you don't have to be some crazy, off-the-rails drug addict. You could be very respectable churchgoer and yet feel, I haven't got it. God wants you to know that and not have any fear because death can always be thinking, oh, no, my, my body is disintegrating. I've spent enough time with people, enough time, both family, friends, but particularly in the church, <clears throat> holding people's hands as they die and watching them die and watching their bodies utterly go and being able to say to them, I'll see you in a minute. I'll be there by the grace of God. I'll see you there. It's going to be glorious. You'll recognize me, but I'll be different. I'll recognize you, but you'll be different. So where is death sting? So Paul continues. Let's finish with this. Let's read the rest of it. Just for fun. I tell you this, brothers. 
Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, an atomos, that word is, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor, and may I add, your faith, your hope, your peace, your life is not in vain. Let's pray.